Ah, greetings and salutations. It is time for yet another edition of the Hard Rock Lunchbox and, of course, the Top 20. That is where we come in right now. Uh, how's it going, everybody? Everybody doing all right? It is a absolutely beautiful, crystal clear day here in the Northeast. It's a beautiful uh, November 2nd. We made it. We made it. I guess. I don't really know. Did we make it? Maybe. I don't know. I can't tell. Uh, my camera is acting weird again. It's uh, using AI, and uh, I don't know. Not doing the job I wanted to do currently, so uh, I'm not sure what to make of that. Do I get closer? Would that help it? Do I get further away? That probably doesn't help anything, but I don't know. I'll go further away. How's that? Oh, that looks better. Yeah. All right. I'll just go further away. <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Title of your sex tape, Go Further Away? All right. <laughs> it's so funny to be rewatching uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my daughter because if you don't know, if you've never met Charlotte, like, but you have watched Modern Family and you have watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just rest assured that Charlotte is somewhere firmly between Detective Amy Santiago and Alex Dunphy. She exhibits so many qualities of these two very capable women, but kind of on the nerdy side. Uh, we were watching the one where Jake goes back to his high school reunion. I'm not going to ruin anything because I'm not a spoiler, uh, but goes back uh, to his high school reunion. He has to kind of figure something out, uh, and Amy ends up in the science lab, and she like she's not her like uh, uh, one of the projects get damaged and she panics and freaks out she looks at it she's like oh it's the Krebs cycle like I got this and then she starts slow talking to Jake so she has enough time to fix it because she wants to redo her science project from high school and like dude if that is not Charlotte to a T <laughs> I don't I don't know who is like literally Charlotte could just go on there and be Detective Amy Santiago or Alex Dunphy easily and I don't even know that I would know the difference to be perfectly honest but it's neither here nor there. So, yeah, that's how we got from title of your sex tape to stories about my daughter. And, yep, that might land her in therapy. Probably would land me in therapy, too. That's cool. I've got nothing planned for the next 40 years. I actually, I have joked uh, with Charlotte for ages uh, about she what she does. So Charlotte's got, she's got a pretty good life, I think. Um... And she's, you know, she's got loving parents. She's got a loving family. Uh, she's, she's, she really has not a lot to rebel against. And I think that that is the rub. Because <laughs> when you don't have stuff to rebel about, you have to start making stuff to rebel. If anybody's ever seen Louis C.K.'s, Louis C.K.'s bit about his young daughter that just wants to be mad. And he's trying to make her waffles and stuff. And, you know, she's like, I don't know which piece to eat. And he's just like, you know, just make a list of pros and cons of each piece and we'll go over it. You're not being very nice, but, like, I love you very much. Like, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, Charlotte, I feel like, doesn't have, like, a lot to rebel about. So, what she does do, and she, you know, she'll complain about me and be like, you know, and my dad, you know, never makes time to, like, you know, or my, not, not that never makes time. My dad uh, can't even win, like, on Mario Brothers 3, you know, like, that kind of stuff. Like, that's literally, like, what she's got to complain about. And I remember telling her one time, and I've told her repeatedly, but telling her the one time, I was like, listen, just... 
it's going to be really funny when you're like in your mid 30s and you like you start going to you know for therapy, which I think is probably important for everybody. But like, you start going for therapy and you walk into your therapist's office and you start unloading all this nonsense about stuff that your dad did to you, and your therapist is going to look right at you and be like, "Will you get the fuck out of my office?" So I have room for people with a real problem. <laughs> like, and I just told her, I was like, "Just make sure you call me right after that happens," because I just want to know that I was like right one time, but. You know, it's, I, I do tell the kids all the time, like, I, feel, I feel like there's a lot of talk about um, like childhood uh, adversity scores and stuff, and you probably heard a lot about CPTSD, like childhood post-traumatic stress. Um, and these are all real things, right? Like anybody that's ever been a child and survived has grown up and has these experiences and has some of these problems. Um, but I've, I've always told the kids, like, I feel like they all, they all got like a good 10, somewhere between 5 and 10 with me. Uh, you know, and I'm allowing the five to ten because there's five that I definitely know. Like, you know, as a parent, like, I'm a pretty good parent, but, like, I am not perfect. And I don't think, I don't even know that being a perfect parent would be a good, necessarily a good thing, right? Like, because without the ability to sort of understand adversity, even from loved ones, like, how how can you possibly expect to go through the rest of your life, like, and exist in relationships, you know, both romantic and you know non-romantic, but like also with other people. Like, you can't expect to make your way from zero to you know life expectancy is now like eighty-two or whatever. But like, you can't expect your, to make your way from zero to ninety without some serious conflict from people that are really close to you, and you, your inability to handle those things, uh, you know, will be a bad thing for you. You know, in my in my opinion. So um, I don't have I don't I don't necessarily take issue with the fact that like I'm not and was not a perfect parent. I'm like I did my best and I'm doing my best and I continue to always do that and that's the value I try and instill in them. But I do think that there's probably a solid five to ten things that all of them are really going to have a legitimate beef with, except for Charlotte, who's probably got minus four at best, honestly, because she just lives such a charmed life. It's just ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't come here to talk about any of that. It just struck me as funny. And it's a good example of exactly how a tangent forms because I said something about your sex tape and I made it all the way to therapy for my kids. And that is pretty impressive. And really, isn't that why we all tune in to the top 20? Because I know it's why I do. And I'm also agreed to be here for every Thursday for the rest of my life. And that's probably more the reason. I'm so tired already, and the show's only been on for, well, I was going to say it's been on for like nine minutes, but I started late, so it's probably only like seven minutes, and that's fine. What's everybody doing in the chat? Chat's quiet. Am I on? Am I streaming? I don't like when the chat's this quiet. <laughs> chat, chat makes me nervous. Man, chat's light today. Okay, well, uh, hopefully hopefully I'm in there. <laughs> uh, unless I froze. Maybe I froze. Did I freeze? Hello? <laughs> Give me one of those things, like, fruit. Free. Which is actually how I told Charlotte to get out of any class uh, during the virtual era of COVID. She's just like, burp, burp, bah, yeah. Burp. <laughs> yeah, all right, well, okay. Uh, yeah, all right, well, no response from the chat, so either the chat is dead or I am. Either way, we're moving on and moving over because it is time for housekeeping, ladies and gentlemen. 
there is a brand new episode of the Top 20 out. I caught the beginning of it this morning. Uh, the bumpers really are still my favorite part. I love the fact that I completely shit on Amityville Music Hall within the first three seconds of my show, as it should be by all shows, in my opinion. But that's, uh, that's just me currently. Uh, it is life, the job. Uh, and I talk about how I just fail at it miserably. I also talk about how I've gone past puberty. That's important. Um, I talk about um, being a, in a well-rehearsed band. Biggest issues with venues currently, uh, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, go check it out. Give it a like. Give it a comment if you are so inclined. That'll be cool. And um, if you are also so inclined while you're over on Stranger Hit TV, the full interview with uh, Shaley Bourget is is out. He's... Uh, basically Deshell. Um and uh, it's the interview the bacon is my podcast interview that I set in and I uh, I set in for Jimmy for so it's just me and Mikey on there I meant to give it a listen I have not been able to because I actually wanted to hear the discussions and drinks uh, episode so I actually listened to that briefly this morning I wanted to hear about what Mike and Jimmy thought about the bacon is my passion show because I thought it was very good a lot of people I talked to thought it was very good but I realized it was a very interesting sort of dynamic going on that a lot of people People maybe don't even realize, um, but Jimmy uh, t- t- uh, talks about it during the sh- during the during the discussions and drinks. So give that a listen. Specifically, the part I was interested in is that Jimmy pointed out to me before he went on that it was his first first show in twenty years, um, and that is calculating back through Craving Strange all the way to Sick as Monday. So basically, like the first time you're up on stage with a new project, and he was saying that even Crash Transit uh, was an existing band, so that wasn't really sim- that wasn't really the same thing. This is literally the first time, and I was thinking about it while he was telling me, and I was trying to calculate it back out, and it really, for me, would have been about the same time in 2002 when I formed G. Davy. Um, yeah, I guess it was like 2002. It was, it was really around the end of 2003 where we did our first show. And our first show was at the de- it was actually a really big show because we just weren't playing. Um, in fact, it's funny. Uh, sorry, I'll finish that thought. Our first show was at the downtown, which was in Farmingdale somewhere. I couldn't even tell you where it is or where it was anymore. Things have just changed so much. But the downtown was an awesome place to see a venue. Uh, to see a show it was a great venue definitely for me it rivaled the stuff like revolution uh, or what revolution would become and rival like the crazy donkey I loved the downtown I thought it was just fantastic I used to go see like nationals play there and stuff like that like I had seen uh, my friends in KHC when they were on tour with uh, mindless self-indulgence there and it was just such a fantastic show anyway but um, it was actually funny because the reason it was such a big deal that uh, we were doing a show And this is probably going to sound stupid out of context, but isn't that... Like, the whole show sounds stupid out of context. The whole show sounds stupid in context, but this is an out-of-context moment. The reason I had formed G-Davy at all was, was solely to write and record and release material. This was 2002. Like... I had spent so much time playing so many shows. Uh, we had already toured. I had already done my time with Narcotic Gypsy. I had already been on OzFest. I had already done all of that stuff and toured, you know, North America and Canada and st- uh, U.S. and Canada. Uh, so I had done a lot already, and I was, uh, frankly, I was a little tired from it. Uh, the whole, the whole demise of Narcotic Gypsy had absolutely left a horrendous taste in my mouth. 
uh, the way it was handled and then the way Sufferful ended, which was the side project I was in at the same time, the way that ended was also just a horrendous experience. So I just didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, so uh, myself and my best friend at the time uh, and godfather to my daughter uh, and bass player, we just got together and started like recording stuff. And then we would play with different you know musicians from time to time. Similar, in, funny enough, to the way Bacon is My Passion works. But the, re- the reason I bring it up, because it's funny, and I don't think I'll ever forget that. At the time, uh, G. Davey had done enough and we had enough cred that we actually had a Wikipedia page. Uh, it was mainly drawing on the fact that I had been a narcotic gypsy and that was enough of a reason to have one. It's not up there anymore. Don't bother looking for it or anything like that um, because it's not important enough anymore, so they took it down. But I had, you know, the, one of the things about it was that the stated goal was uh, that we... We were forming this just to write and record and release music, and I'll I'll never forget this because one of the Wikipedia editors actually who was responsible for taking the page down, was, who made a snide comment about it, is like, well, what other things do you do in a band? And I actually answered him back. I was like, well, dickus, the main thing bands do is they actually go out on the road for a really long time for really very little money and very little like you know anything. You know, to financially back them up, and I had already done that. Instead of sat behind my computer typing on Wikipedia, dick, and that was basically it for the G Baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we had done like I guess like 2003. We played one show, and we it was a absolutely packed house. Not for us. I, it was packed because it just was, um, and that was the first time that I'd gone on stage with a brand new band in some very long time um and that was 20 years ago and the next kind of thing that i had uh would have been in 2008 where uh g davy played again except it was my very first show as the lead singer i'd never done it before we took an opening slot at ollie's point which would eventually no sorry excuse me it was still molly blooms too it wasn't even ollie's point yet Ollie's Point would eventually go on to become Revolution, just so you know. Stage was in a completely different place. The stage was actually kind of where the green room was, if you're familiar with that at at Revolution. But we played. I took an 8 o'clock show on a Saturday, and uh, we booked it through Patty Dodge, who I had never met. It was the first time working with her, and she was like, I like the way you guys sound. We did have, because we wrote and released materials, so we did have songs out, and Patty gave us a shot because Patty's very cool. Aside from the fact that Patty will book almost anybody like she's really good at just giving you a shot and putting you in a bad slot until you've earned a better slot like you know that's to me that's the way music should be like you shouldn't really just base stuff on your you know draw and stuff like that like you need to earn a better like you want to headline a show earn it like really earn it because what's happened is when you when you when you headline shows just because you can draw like a few hundred people doesn't mean you're very good. It means you have a few hundred people that'll come see you. And I talked last week about the difference between a friend base and a fan base. And I was saying it specifically in regards to a lot of younger bands because bands under 30, generally speaking, have a large friend base that will eventually abandon you because they're going out because they need stuff to do, stuff to occupy their time. When they get a little bit older than that, people make real sacrifices to come out and see you. And I know that because that's what my fan base is now. Yes, I am absolutely friends with some of our fans, and that is fantastic and just a complete 
bonus of that. But like, I don't think that people just come to Revel Nine shows out of sheer loyalty to our friendship. Like, I just I think that's out. I think they they come because they have a good time. They come because the other people that come are awesome, and they come because we play with a lot of other good bands that they also want to see. And I feel like that's the better reason to come to come see a show. But I am just segueing off a cliff here because what I wanted to say is that that was the other time I had a first kind of show. I sang lead vocals for the very first time in my life. I, I want to say it was like May of two thousand and eight. Um, we played with a couple bands, and it was just fun, and I was scared as hell, and I had a lighting issue, and the sound guy who would go on to basically be a lifelong friend, Mike Festa, saw that I was having trouble because I couldn't see my frets while I was singing because this is not something I was used to. I We rehearsed with full light, and he actually hooked me up and gave me one of his desk lights so I could kind of see, and like it was just so much going on but the point was like i had nerves for days for weeks i was super super nervous i was not a very good singer you could argue whether or not i became a good singer in all that time but like i was not a very good singer then i was hoarse i blew my voice out very quickly i was certainly very pitchy and i was nervous as all hell and that was actually what jimmy was talking about about being nervous and how it kind of feels kind of good you know it's not Three lines of cocaine good, but it's like, you know, maybe we'll get cocaine after the show good. Like, if that puts it in any perspective whatsoever, it was like, it's exciting. You know, it's 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 exciting to do that. It, it dries the throat. It races the heart. All those good things that will probably kill us all in the end. But, like, it's a fun thing to feel. And I was happy for my friend that he got to experience that. And that was, that was cool. And by all accounts, like, Bacon is my passion. Did a great job. Uh, I was... Unfortunately, I was playing right after them, so of course I was, you know, moving gear and setting up and all that other stuff. But like everything I heard was good. I got to see the beginnings of it, and that was awesome. Um, at Waterbury and and Joey Nunn did a great job uh, as their backing band. I guess there would be the uh, the Bimp Tones. I would imagine they would be referred to. I don't know. Like they added a horn section to do that. Uh, Mike and Jim in the Bimp Tones. I would, I would definitely like if they if they sat Joey and Chris behind those like cardboard boxes that you saw like on the old shows and stuff. Like get a saxophone player. Like you know, it could have been like totally the Bimp Tones. Bimp and the Bimp Tones. I would. I don't. I don't know. It's just a suggestion. I have lots of them, and, and rarely are they good. To be perfectly honest with you, so <laughs> I don't know how many of those I would actually take, but. Um, that long-ass explanation is uh, a suggestion for you to catch the discussions and drinks uh, on Strangerhood TV, the Bacon is My Podcast release from just yesterday, uh, and check out all the other good things there. And I have now talked about way too much. I was going to talk about Tommy Tuberville and what an absolute scumbag he is. He's a U.S. senator from somewhere in the Deep South. who's basically putting our uh, country at, sec- at national security level risk because he doesn't like the Pentagon's policy on reimbursing service uh, service women for travel expenses if they have to go out of state to get an abortion. So he's holding up hundreds of promotions to important positions in our armed forces because he doesn't like something. He's a douchebag. And any single time you have a senator that puts his personal belief ahead of the good of the country, you have to take a real good look at everything that's going on and why he's there and which party voted for him, by the way. Because we do have an election day coming up. Uh... 
Tuesday, right? In just less than a week. I know almost nothing about the candidates, except I did get a flyer uh, about Ed Romaine, who's who's running for Suffolk County uh, executive. And all I know about him is that he is in charge of Brookhaven, the town of Brookhaven, which has been famously dubbed Crookhaven because it's so crooked and so corrupt, it makes Huntington look like everything is running just fine. And the whole pitch is about how he's going to bring integrity back to the office. I'm like, you don't get to run a county called Crookhaven and talk about integrity. If if that's your job and that's your gig and you're running for something bigger, you got to be like, uh, Ed Romaine, I promise to do a better job. Like, that's what I would lead with and I'd be done. But I don't have anything to offer otherwise on, on politics. I do know that they raised taxes in the town of Brookhaven in the past eight years in a row, and he's all of a sudden going to lower taxes for Suffolk County. I feel like that's what a lie sounds like, and I guess any party that would put up somebody like George Santos to run for Congress doesn't really care if you're being truthful. So I don't know how you guys are voting on Tuesday. I just know that one party consistently lies about what they're going to do, what they've done, and all that other stuff. And as much as I don't like the Democrats constantly just bowing to the ultra-left, at least they don't lie about it. And I feel like that's a much bigger thing. It's a much bigger issue to me. So, I don't know. That's just my 17 cents. I've got some data to remember, but it's a cover. So, I don't know if I'm helping or hurting. And honestly, who cares? I don't. <laughs>